0: Tonight here at Ground Zero Ministries, we're going to continue going through the the Bible and our Bible teaching, and tonight's message is on the book of 1 Thessalonians. Um, This is Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians, possibly the very first letter he ever had written. You know, it's the earliest letter, from what they can tell, that Paul had had sent out. We find the backstory of, of this in the book of Acts. When Paul and Silas went up to this ancient Greek city of Thessalonica, and after they'd been telling people about the gospel, approximately like a month, they think, you know that, and there was a lot, a large number of Jews and Greeks that were giving their lives to Jesus, and they were beginning the the first church, you know, they were forming in the city, and Paul was announcing Jesus being the Lord of the world. It began to stir up a lot of trouble, you know, in this city. You know, and all the Christians were being accused of defying Caesar, you know, who they looked up to almost as a god. And because they were claiming that Jesus was king, they were saying that they they were serving another king, and it really started to lead to some persecution. And it got so intense that Paul and Silas actually had to flee the city. You know, this was a very difficult. You know transition for them because they were really you know falling in love with the city and falling in love with the people as they were trying to build a church there you know and Paul was not really sure what was happening even after they left, so Paul sent Timothy in to to see what was going on you know and he attempts to reconnect with them you know and you know he sends Timothy to find out what's going on and He finds that the the church is actually doing very well. So Timothy sends back this report that in the midst of the persecution, the church was thriving and growing. You know, so Paul is writing and giving thanks to God for their faith and for their love for others and that they're finding their hope in, in Jesus in spite of this persecution that they're facing. You know, and how far they have come. Since they were idol worshippers in this polytheistic city and that everything around them, you know, honored the Greek and Roman gods and how they turned away from their idols to serve the living and true God, Jesus Christ. And that they were waiting for his return. You know, it's very similar to us. You know, that we live in this culture and we have different idols screaming at us in many different ways. You know that we would say that we don't believe that they're like Rome and Greek gods, but yet, you know, from a Hollywood stage or from a, a musical stage, you know, the industries are screaming at us that even we have TV shows that that are named after idols, which I'm actually a big fan of. The show it makes me cry all the time, but anyway, it's a whole other story. You know that we have sports teams that we we worship. And chase after a lot harder than we do Jesus. You know, and Paul is, is showing them that in the midst of the distractions that go on in the city, that they're pursuing Jesus and that they're growing in, in the midst of this persecution. You know, so that these idols that they've served, you know, that they've turned from it to the true living God who is Jesus Christ. You know, so as they're transferring their allegiance from the Creator God of Israel to King Jesus, that it came with this cost that sometimes that there's isolation from neighbors. Sometimes there's hostility from our family. Sometimes that people at our workplace reject us. Sometimes our best friends begin to turn their back on us. You know, some of you have heard the story that one of my good friends when i got sober and saved and and ended up transitioning out of my workplace and other people were headed into my workplace you know that that he knew that knew me that he would say all sorts of awful things about me and one day he told a young lady that he wished that i died in a burning car because he was so angry at me because i was sober and saved Now, he wouldn't say that I, that's why, but it's definitely that, that spiritual attack, you know, that comes after us sometimes when we, we transition out of living for darkness and then we decide that we're gonna, you know, not only, you know, change our life, but we're gonna honor Jesus Christ in our life. You know, that Jesus is the only religion that everyone really hates. You know, you can talk about any other religion and no one really bats an eye. When you start talking about Jesus, and everyone has an issue, you know, and it's because there's nothing that is greater than Jesus. There's no other name that is higher than His name. And just saying His name in the atmosphere, it begins to stir up stuff. You know, no one cares if you get sober. They're actually happy that you do it. But you get sober and start talking about Jesus, and everyone has an issue. You know, there's something to it. There's something to it, you know, and many years ago now, you know, as I've been sober and saved for a minute, you know, I've gone into the rooms in this area and professed my faith in Jesus Christ, and for many years, I got a lot of backlash. You know, and people would tell me not to talk about that in the rooms and people would say that that's not the place. We don't talk about that stuff and yada, yada, yada. And I never shrunk back. You know, I continue to go into meetings and I talk about Jesus. You know, and some people don't like it. And I don't really care. Because it's my job to to talk about the One who transformed my life. You know, and there's been times recently that I've sit in a meeting, and I'm sitting in meetings with other Christians that actually have gone to church with me that day. That there is a large population of Christians that go to the meetings these days, and a large population of Christians that, that come to church, not just our church, but many churches. You know, And there's all sorts of people that are talking about the Bible and talking about Jesus and talking about their faith. And it's become a place that not everybody likes it and there's still people that <laughs> hate the idea that people are bringing up Jesus in the, in a meeting but yet Jesus is getting talked about more frequently you know and, and it's one thing to talk about Jesus but it's another thing to live for him you know and and that's what i have found that has attracted people to me is that i try to live for him to the best of my ability and that you know i am not perfect by any means and i've you know i've had wonderful things said about me through the years of my wonderful faith in jesus and all the the crazy things that i must be doing in my house and in my cult and my relationships and my harems and my you know all my different girlfriends that i've had through the years and all the lies have been told about me but i continue to walk the line to the best of my ability and the people that know me know that i walk the line You know, and every once in a while, it's funny as I hear other people defending me because they're like, no, you got it wrong. You know, and I'll never be perfect. I'll never represent them perfectly. But I try to do my best. You know, and it's cost me friendships. It's cost me opportunities. It's shut doors in my face because people know what I stand for. But... I would rather stand for Jesus than lie down for anything else, you know. And I've had many of opportunities to work in, in different realms in the city, and I've turned it down because I know that they're going to tell me that I can't talk about Jesus. And when they start paying my paycheck, they have the opportunity to tell me that what I can say and what I can't say. And I have yet to be willing to to give up talking about Jesus for a paycheck. It's not worth it to me, you know. And you know, many of us have hostility from our family, hostility from friends, hostility from coworkers, hostility from neighbors. You know, and it's important that we we know what we believe in. You know, we're not reciting things that we heard from a TV show or a movie. We're not reciting things that we picked up through the years because of the holidays that we serve. And it's important that we have a relationship with Jesus. That we can share our testimony. That I was like this that Jesus intersected my life and things began to change and now I'm like this and my relationship's like this and that I've been healed of this and that. That This has changed and that has changed. Because no one can argue with our testimony. you know. And technically, unbelievers don't want to hear what the Bible has to say anyway. Because they don't believe that it's an authoritative book. But what they can't argue is that we were once one way, something happened, and now we're a different way. And then our testimony honors Jesus Christ. And they can make all the excuses in the world that we did it on our own and we decided to change and da 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 da. But we know what's true. We know it's true because we've had an encounter with the living God. That we've had the Holy Spirit come into our lives and completely change the way we think, change the way we act, change the way we feel. We've had experiences with Him. We've been in His presence that He's wrecked us. We've been crying for no apparent reason at all. More times than we count. And He begins to open up doors that He gives us favor, that things happen in our lives that don't make any sense other than the God of this universe is doing stuff that's cool for His kids. You know, and it's important for us To represent them to the best of our ability. You know, even when people are attacking us. You know, that, you know, our family, you know, we might be the only Bible they ever read. We might be the only Jesus they ever come in contact with because they're not willing to come into a building. And you know what? That's fine. You know, that we shouldn't just be Sunday Christians. That we should be Monday through Sunday, Christ followers. You know, it's one of my little pet peeves or sayings, the world does not need another Christian. The world needs a bunch of people that are following Jesus. And if we follow Jesus, then they'll see that there's something different about us and they'll want something that we got. You know, one of my favorite lines in the Bible is that the people were talking about the disciples who were unlearned men and they said that those men have been with Jesus. That there was something different about them. There was something different about the way they talked. There was something different about the way they carried themselves and that they knew that it was not of them. You know, that there was something that took place in their lives. You know, and that's important that we, you know, love people. You know, so often we're known for our criticism and our judgment. You know, and we're Bible bashers and holy rollers and all these lovely sayings that get thrown our way. But Jesus tells us they'll know us by our love. You know, and it's so important that we we love people in spite of what they think, in spite of what they believe, in spite of what they say. That it's important that we are known for our love. You know, that Jesus who died, you know, He... He represented that love that he's asked the Father to forgive them for they know not what they do. Like there's no other loving words than to know that someone is basically killing you and that he's loving them anyway. Because he knows they don't get it. You know, and we have to take that same perspective that that there's people around us that just don't get it. And the only way they're going to come to an understanding that they might get it is that we represent Jesus to the best of our ability even in spite of the way they act. So often we've created this gated community that we've got to stay away from the sinners. But that's not how Jesus lived. That He walked into the darkest of places and became a light. You know, And I believe that we have to have wisdom and I believe that we need to know our limits. And I believe that, that Jesus gave us a model that He sent people out two by two. You know that we shouldn't go into places that might be ex- extremely tempting by ourselves. That we should know our limitations as humans, but yet be led by the spirit yes. and be led into places that that people don't normally travel. You know, and I believe that that's what Drown Zero represents: is that that we got one foot in the kingdom and one foot in the sewer. You know, that to reach the broken and lost people of this city and any other place that we might travel. And there's broken people in our families, there's broken people in our workplaces, there's broken people in our neighborhoods, there's broken people outside this place. And if we cast judgment upon them and throw stones at them because they're sinners, then we obviously have forgot where we came from. Because some of us have been the worst of the worst. I know that I have. For the majority of my life I was a wretched sinner. Such scum. Notorious sinner. I I wear all those labels. And yet Jesus came into my life and, and transformed me into a man of God, which is still pretty puzzling, if, if you ask me. You know, Paul goes on to talk about how Christians should act and how Christian leadership is not about power and control over people. It's about a healthy relationship. It's about humble love and service. That He influences them by the way that He lives, by the way that He loves, by the way that He serves. And He gives credit to Jesus. He never takes the glory for Himself. Paul reflects upon their common persecution. You know, and he relates it to just as the way that Jesus was rejected and killed by his own people, so now Paul is persecuted by his fellow Jews, and then the Thessalonians are facing hostility from their Greek neighbors. And Paul draws on this strange comfort that together their suffering is a participation in what Jesus and in his own suffering in his life and his death. You know, that in the midst of persecution, our faith, it grows. You know, when we have a bad day or we go through a trial, don't we pray more? That when things are going well and, you know, we're getting all the green lights and we pull up to Walmart and we get the parking space that's closest to the door and we're like, praise God! That we're not really praying. We might see his hand in things, but it's when things aren't going our way that God gets our attention a lot more. You know, that a few of us just recently watched a, a video about the underground churches that are around the world. You know, and many, many years ago, there was a missionary that was in China. And There was about 10,000 Christians, I believe. And uh, they got kicked out of China. You know, and they believed, the Chinese believed that their seminary was jail. That they liked going to jail because when they were in jail, everyone was trapped and they could tell everybody about Jesus. And that many, many years later, they got the opportunity to go back into China and they were wondering if. You know, the Chinese church was still alive. And they came back to a church of millions. This is a communist nation that persecutes them for their faith that might kill them for their faith. You know, that in the midst of persecution, we pray more. We press into Jesus way more. You know, that I've heard stories of recently of when Dennis Belkin came over here and preached our church probably about a decade ago. And he's one, one of the main missionaries into China that he's believed to lead a hundred million or more Chinese to their faith in Christ. That he said that the Chinese pray that America becomes persecuted again so that we come alive for our faith. And it's like, wait a minute, I don't want that. However, you know, I think honestly, the American church has been lulled to sleep by how easy it is, and we start throwing things around like prosperity gospels, and we think that because we have Jesus, that we're all supposed to get rich. You know, I, I don't read that in my Bible. I don't know about you. You know, and Paul is is making this reference to when we suffer. That Jesus somehow is is in the midst of that, and that in our suffering his life and our life come intertwined. You know. I heard once upon a time that dead men don't complain. And aren't we supposed to die to ourselves every day? But yet we complain a lot. You know and that in the midst of What's going on in our life that we're complaining about, most likely that's an area that Jesus wants to get into that area and begin to heal and transform and renew because we don't really want to let go of the way we think it should go. You know, I complain too. You know, I'm not up here, I'm not preaching to you know the choir, I'm preaching to myself. You know, that I you know, I'm convicted by in the movie that I watch that when they heard of the persecution that went on in Somalia as Christians were being murdered in the street, that they said that they were going to get up an hour early every day and pray for Somalia. This is not just a couple people. This is thousands of people that are probably still getting up today. The rest of their life, they're going to get up an hour early and pray for Somalia. Like, Jesus... I don't want to get up 15 minutes early and pray before I get my coffee. Just being honest, you know that as we face our hardships, you know Jesus has this opportunity to move, you know, and He he gets into there and He starts to stir things up, you know. But when Timothy gave Paul the news that they were rejoicing. Of how strong the church had grown to. And that they were faithful to Jesus and they were full of life and they were loving their neighbors even though that they were being persecuted by Him. So Paul goes on to pray to encourage them to continue to endure. I'm, I've been a runner my whole entire life. Any obstacle I've run from. Anything that's hard I've run from. You know, and as I look back over the last decade of my life, Jesus has been breaking that off of me, and for the majority of that decade, I've wanted to quit and run, take off, make excuses, figure out a different way to serve jesus that that is easier, and He's been teaching me to endure He's been strengthening my character, you know. In the past year, God's shown me something that I haven't seen in the years past, and I'm not really sure why, but it might have something to do with the moms in this group that are getting their kids back in their lives. That as we've prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed for you moms and dads to get your kids back in your lives, and watching you persecute, be persecuted by courts and people. And you pray and you pray to get your kids back in your lives. And it comes with a cost. That when that prayer gets answered and those kids begin to come back into your lives, it's not easy. There's a lot of work that goes on with Rebuilding those relationships and and continuing to deal with the court systems and continuing to deal with the baby mamas and baby daddies that love you guys so much. And building those relationships for those kids. that I've watched you guys pray and I've prayed with you and I've prayed for you and all of a sudden the manifestation of that answered prayer takes place and it It's a lot of work to maintain what you've longed for and what you've prayed for. And I see now today that things that I've prayed for that have yet to come, that God has been preparing me all these years to be able to work once certain blessings start to come. And I remember many years ago as I was praying for finances and praying for a wife and praying to become a pastor and praying that this would happen. I'm praying for that would happen. And the doors would just not open and I would get so frustrated that it wasn't happening yet. And I remember so clearly the Holy Spirit telling me, Tom, this is my grace in your life that you are not ready to sustain and take on what you are desiring. That if I was to give it to you now, it would destroy you. And my ego would flare up and be like, no, okay, maybe... That I want what I want what I want. Isn't that the core desire of our flesh? And yet, He knows in His sovereignty that He knows when certain doors should open and other doors should close and He lets us dabble for a little while with things that we shouldn't and then He shuts the door on it and our hand might get caught in the door. And He's been warning us for a long time to let go of certain doorknobs. And yet, we lost a finger. And He's like... Sorry. There's repercussions to our sin. Especially now that we know Jesus and we have a solution for our sin. And some of us continue to reach for things that we shouldn't. And some of us don't want to wait for things that we should. And we try to help him, And it doesn't work out so great. That Paul is challenging them to live their lives with this, this consistency that they live by the teachings of Jesus. You know, many of us have heard that the truth sets you free. The first bomb dropped in World War I killed the only elephant in the zoo. That's true. Do you know that there's more vitamin C in a strawberry than there is in an orange? That's true too. Did either one of those true things set you free on any level? So truth in itself doesn't set you free. Jesus says that if you are my disciples, that you'll know my truth and you'll live by it. And that truth will set you free. But so often we try to throw around things out of context and it doesn't bring freedom. But when we begin to live by what the Bible tells us and the way that the Bible tells us and we resist the things the Bible tells us and we begin to apply the words of Jesus, our lives begin to be transformed. Our minds begin to transform. Our hearts begin to be transformed. And we begin to live in a way that makes no sense. The things I do, the things I say... If I was to run into myself 15 years ago, I'd be like, explicit words. Are you doing? And I would try so hard to tell that individual that you don't want to live that way. And that individual would not listen to a word I said today. But yet, the way that I was living was causing me pain. And the things that I did destroyed everything that I touched but yet I was so arrogant and so prideful that I would not listen. And that it was only pain and destruction that brought me to my place where I finally surrendered and I was willing to look for a new answer. And right at that moment, Jesus came into my life and He began to show me that there was this whole other way to live. And I still rejected it. I liked the idea of salvation, sort of, But I really just wanted him to take my pain with no work. I want the end result in Jesus' name. Poof, I'm free. And now I can continue to live how I want to live. And because I stayed in sin in some areas, I found myself running and gunning all over again. And that sin continued to eat me alive and brought me to a place of a a new bottom. See, I came to church and I, the God of my understanding that I now said was Jesus, I wanted Him to set me free of my addictions, the ones that were causing me pain, sort of. I wanted to compartmentalize the things that I was allowing Jesus to have. I did not want to stop being immoral. I did not want to stop fornicating. I did not want to stop sleeping with any girl that I could possibly sleep with. And I said that the Bible is outdated. The Bible doesn't have anything to tell me about sex. And I rejected the teachings that the Bible has to say about sex. And I disregarded the Bible in that context because I wanted to continue to live the way that I wanted to live. And because I did that, I found myself in a very dark place. Because now I'm not just running from my addictions. I'm running from Jesus who's been showing me that He's real. So now i got to run harder. And what many of you have heard me say is that <laughs> He never leaves us or forsakes us. It is a blessing. One of the greatest promises in the Bible, if you ask me, is that He'll never leave us. But if we try to run from Him, that's like the worst curse ever. <laughs> Because as much as we want to sin and enjoy it again, He's right there saying, I love you. Come here. I love you. Come here. And we're like, leave me alone. Go mess with somebody else. I don't want to deal with you anymore. I want to do what I want to do. Just let me destroy myself. And He's like, I love you. I can't. And we try real hard to destroy ourselves. And yet He comes into that and He rescues us again. And we do not deserve it. I was sleeping with two different women at the same time at that time in my life. Higher than the kite, been up for days, I heard the Holy Spirit tell me the next woman I slept with was going to have my child. I have not had sex since. It still took me four more months to get sober, but the fear of the Lord came in me in such a way that I knew that if I had sex with some random girl that she was going to get impregnated. I just knew that I knew that I knew it. And now today, someday, if I ever get married, have sex again, that that lucky woman that gets to call herself my wife will have my children. And that what God spoke in the in season of sin that I received as condemnation or, or, and I received it in fear, was actually God's truth being spoken to my life that began to shift me and change me into the way He wanted to take me. That He was speaking a promise. That He knew more about me than I knew about myself. That He was speaking into my identity as a sexual addict. And He was breaking me free. Did I know what He was doing in that moment? No, I did not. He was scaring me. Did I want to let go? No, I did not want to let go. But I knew that if I didn't, that something was going to take place in my life that I did not want. And I did not want to raise children with a random person that I did not know. That our whole relationship was based on drug addiction. That Paul goes in to talk about our serious commitment to live the way that Jesus is teaching us to live and that this commitment is called to holiness. And that sexual purity is a complete contradiction to the promiscuity of the way that they were living. Now this is thousands of years ago. But because of the Greek culture, that they were worshiping sex gods and that they were having sex right on the steps of the temples and that they would hire prostitutes to worship God. And yet they were denying themselves in that way and that they were honoring Christ in the way that they lived and they were learning how to become pure. That most of us in this room have fallen short in this area. In a big way. You know, I grew up in the church. But the first opportunity I had sex, I jumped right on that. My 20s was a crazy mess. Of drunkenness and addiction and sexual depravity. You know, and I would not say that back then. I would say, woohoo! but my life continued to be more and more depressed as I pursued that type of a lifestyle. That I, I felt rejected and I felt alone and I, I just wished that I could find the right one and then everything would be better. But in all reality, I was so broken that any relationship I got into I would destroy because I was an absolute mess. You know that Jesus wanted to come into this area of my life that was out of control and begin to heal me. And there was things that He spoke to me in those early months as I was trying to stay sober and, and trying to be pure, and that the world just comes crashing at us. The second that you start to say that you're going to be single or, or pure, it's like every opportunity in the world starts coming your way. But because I knew that it it was an area of brokenness in my life and it, it continued to lead me in the wrong directions. That I was taking this commitment to stay pure for a year. And it was probably harder, it was harder than getting sober, I'll be honest with you. Dealing with my codependency and not wanting to be single and couldn't be alone and then lost on top of that. It was a battle. But God was doing something in me and He was talking to me. He said, Tom, if you want a healthy relationship, you first have to become healthy. I'm like, "Yeah, I'll agree with that. (laughs) Any relationship I get in is doomed because I was a mess. And the likelihood that I would stay pure a long time in a relationship was real low. And he told me back then, it's like, Tom, until you can afford a wedding ring, you're not ready to get married. And if you're not ready to get married, you're not ready to date. Because I'm not going to date some lady that I find really attractive that we're planning on getting married and staying pure for X amount of years. That's just not going to happen. That's just not realistic. Now today, I'm a stronger Christian and I would like to think that I have some self-control. Unless it's Chinese food. But anyway... <clears throat> That today I, I realize that there's things that I've set up in my life through listening to people. You know, and a lot of it is recovery principles that I've applied to my Christianity, and and it's truly biblical. Is that I shouldn't see how close I can get to temptation and wondering why I'm having a hard time with it. You know, I shouldn't go wander around the streets at night looking for all the drug deals going on and, and wondering how they're doing. Are you having a good day? Like, I don't need to watch that. I don't need to go to the bar and just sit there for no apparent reason and just watch people drink. That doesn't make any sense. So I should not be flirting with the opposite sex and expect that it's not going to influence me on some level. That I do not have relationships with people I should not have relationships with because it might lead me into the wrong direction. You know, and these are things that I've had to do for years now that work. And I try to teach to many of you that as you're starting to work through your stuff. But as we apply the teachings of what Jesus is, is asking us to do, and we believe who Jesus says we are, and we believe what Jesus has in store for us, that we see the beauty and the power of His teachings. And that we start to look biblically at what sex is, and the way that God had created it to be a committed marriage and a covenant, that Jesus takes sexual misbehavior seriously. He says that we're sinning against the temple and the temple of the Holy Spirit, that we're sinning against God when we sin sexually. That we're not just sinning against ourselves, we're sinning against another human being, and we're sinning against God. Then when we don't do it His way. And many of us that have had many partners that months and years after the fact that these memories don't leave us because the bible says that when we have sex that two become one that we're spiritually connected that we have the soul tie with an individual and that we need to renounce and break those things off and pray you know and it talks about that if we cast the demons out of our house but we don't fill it that more demonic activity Seven more demons, worse than the one that was there, come. You know, and honestly, I think this has something to do with that when we try to get sober and we go back to our addictions, it's worse next time. And then we try to get sober and we try to get sober and we try to get sober and we go back to our addictions, it's worse next time. That when we try to get pure and we go back to our sexual impurity, it gets crazier and worse and we do more crazy and weird and depraved things. I did not believe the Bible. I did not believe it until I started seeing it manifest itself in my life. And the way that it was telling me that things were going to happen is exactly how things began to take place. And it told me if I lived a certain way that this was going to happen and I lived a certain way and those things started to take place in my life. The Bible is a supernatural book. It's God's breath breathed into our lives. It's teaching us how to live in this crazy sinful world midst of everything that goes on around us that's completely crazy. And this world is full of sin. We're never going to get away from it. However, we can live according to the Word of God and have a relationship with Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit and we can live and navigate this place because this is not our home. This is not where we belong. That someday we're going to be in heaven. And that our inheritance in heaven and we're waiting... And I have no idea what that means. I'm just being honest. Like, to have eternity with God in heaven, I can't wrap my mind around that. But I'm pretty sure it's going to be awesome. Because I have moments with the Holy Spirit here, and I'm overwhelmed by His presence. And I don't ever want it to stop. And as we're worshiping and we're praying, some of you have been in those places where His presence comes and we we cry and and we feel it and we're just like, thank you. And if that's even a fragment of what's to come, I think that we're going to have an awesome eternity. But He's asking us to live and honor Christ in our lives. Because when we don't, it destroys ourselves and it destroys people. That when we follow Jesus, means that we need to be committed to loving and serving others. It means that we need to be committed to purity. That Paul is instructing Christians that we should be known in this city as reliable people, as pure people, people who work really hard, not just to make money, but that we can also be generous. That we provide for others around us. That we're selfless. That we're generous. That we give our time and our money to to needs and people and and injustices. That we're the first ones to to help and to serve. And we're the first ones to to come into areas and, and help and break free and help the injustices of this world. That we should have a work ethic about us. And that we should be known for our generosity. That we should be servants to people in need. Paul ends this book with a prayer. That he asked God would permeate their lives with His holiness. And He would set them apart to be completely devoted to King Jesus. Some of us grew up in religious households. And it's why we had a hard time with Jesus. I remember growing up and going to church and coming home and my life was crazy. So when I had was old enough to have a brain, I didn't think this stuff was real. And I ran from it. What's the point of acting a certain way when the people that say they act, you know, believe in that stuff don't act that way either? But when I finally got to a place where I was broken enough and I. Jesus came and got me. The people told me that I should try to read this thing called the Bible. I didn't want to. Like, it's a thick book. Like, who the hell wants to read that thing? It's like full of rules and stuff, right? But eventually I started reading a page a day. And that page became two, and that. Second page became a chapter. And then before you know it, I finished a book. And I started reading another book. And I started really really wrapping my mind around the words that I was reading and the way that Jesus is asking us to live. And I remember taking my Bible into church to Pastor Mike, and I'm like, do Christians really read this thing? Because I've never met Christians that live this way. And he laughed, and I was serious, and I didn't get an answer. (laughs) But what I've come to learn is that no one's perfect, that we all fall short. But something that stirred in my spirit in that time is that I did not want to be a hypocrite. That I did not want to say that I believe in something and live a completely different way as I watched as a child. And that when Jesus was moving in a powerful way in that season of my life, I told him that I wanted to serve him. And I started praying that every day. Jesus, I want to serve you. Jesus, I want to serve you. Jesus, I want to serve you. <laughs> and I remember the Holy Spirit laughing at me. And I remember I was, you know, I pace when I pray, and I'm in my apartment, and I'm like, God, oh, I want to serve you. And I hear this laughter. And I like stop. I'm like, why are you laughing at me? And he said, you don't even know what that means, do you? No, I suppose I don't. But I've been believing in you and I've been reading my Bible for just a few weeks. And I've watched how you've transformed my life in a way that nothing has ever done before. And if you can do this with just the very little that I've given you, I'm willing to give you my life because I believe that my life in your hands has a greater purpose than ever doing things my way because anything that I've done my way has not brought anything but destruction to me and everyone around me. And I started telling him that I'm willing to serve you though I don't know what that means. And I'm still serving Him. Because a life serving Jesus is so much greater and a life serving myself, because every time that I've ever served myself, it has done nothing but hurt me and everyone around me. And that's what I hope my life represents. Is that I encourage you to press in and chase after Jesus, because it is the only thing that's changed this very broken man. We all have crazy stories of the crazy things that we've done. Someday, years from now, we're all going to have stories of the crazy stuff that God has done. And it's going to be amazing to see what God has done with this ministry and the men and women that have been a part of it, even if we go on to different places in this world. But I believe that He's raising something in this place that is going to completely affect this city, this state, the cities that we have churches in, and there's already talk about taking stuff to Kenya and the DR, and who knows where this stuff is going to go. It's not up to us. We just have to be willing. And I just really encourage you guys to to chase after Him and let Him take us to where He wants to take us. Would you just bow your heads with us? Lord, I just thank You so much. I thank You And even though there's times that we receive hostility, that you always pour out your love upon us, Lord, that we can love those around us in spite of what they think and what they say about us, Lord, that we could be a light in other people's darkness, that we could meet opposition with your grace and your generosity and the way that you lived your life, that we would represent that to the best of our ability, that we would be motivated by hope for people that have none. That we would be the hope. That our hope would catch them on fire. That our hope would help them take a step. Our hope would help them to get sober. Our hope would help them to get pure. That our lifestyle and our, our testimonies would encourage those that are struggling so much to take that next step with you and try to figure out who you really are because religion has done a horrible job of representing you. Help us to represent you, Lord. Help us to be known by your love. Help us to to represent your truth to the best of our ability, Lord, but that people would know us because we love them. That we're willing to serve them, that we're known for our generosity, that we, we live to the best of our ability following you and living by your teachings and, and knowing that we're gonna fall short, Lord. That none of us are ever gonna be perfect, Lord. And help us to be humbled by that. Lord, that we don't go around being proud or haughty about our Christianity because it's not of us. It's all of You in us that gives us the ability, Lord. That we're not some privileged, gated community, Lord. That we're Your light and darkness. And help us to begin to live that way. That we realize the people around us need You. Help us, Lord. To represent You and to pursue You. That You would be resurrecting dead lives because You've been restoring our broken ones. That we live for you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen, amen.